Middle family, we are living through difficult days, an overwhelming season of grief and uncertainty. In just a short time, the coronavirus has spread across the landscape of our lives and become our new terrible reality. We are living through a challenging time where people are getting sick and people are dying, where people are losing their jobs and their health care. And although we are all in this thing together, there are clear inequities in how the virus is affecting people of color and poor people of all colors. For example, in New York City, black and brown people are twice as likely to be killed by the virus than white people. And if New York City is the center of the outbreak in this nation, then the poorest neighborhoods are the center's center. The health inequalities that we are seeing in this city and across America are not new. They stretch far back in time to when the founding fathers owned slaves and when the Supreme Court declared in 1857 that black people had no rights that white people were bound to respect. Today, we as a nation have created a convenient narrative to explain why people of color are being killed by the coronavirus at higher rates. We say it's because they have more underlying health conditions. But this convenient narrative, this blame the victim narrative is a racist one. It implies that the problem is people of color, rather than the underlying social and economic and political forces that affect their health. The racist narrative that people of color and their poor health are responsible for their higher death rates also ignores the fact that a disproportionate share of essential workers are women of color. It also ignores the fact that staying at home is a privilege that not everyone in this country can afford. As an anti-racist congregation, each of us must continually interrupt racist narratives and replace them with anti-racist counter-narratives. We must tell the truth about the oppression of people of color, the oppression that they have endured in this nation for over four centuries. And we must tell the stories of their courageous resistance to oppression. It's the first Sunday of Asian History Month, and so we send our love to our Asian sisters and brothers who are facing and courageously resisting the spread of racism in America and around the world. Racism against Asians is not new, but it certainly is spreading. Some of our elected officials are calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus. Don't be fooled by those who can't lead us, and so they lie to us. Don't be fooled by those who can't admit their shortcomings, and so they scapegoat the vulnerable. There's no such thing as a Chinese virus, but the virus of racism is very real. And because we are an anti-racist church, each of us must consistently name and identify racism so that we can begin to dismantle it. Everything we're going through right now, Jesus faced. He lived through challenging times when unknown diseases were disproportionately killing his people. Why were they killing his people at such high rates? Because they were oppressed and marginalized, rebuked and scorned by the dominant Roman society. They had no rights that Romans were bound to respect. They were segregated, forced to live in neighborhoods that lacked resources and opportunities. As Raphael Warnock says, they were stopped and frisked, arrested on trumped up charges, and incarcerated with no due process. Jesus himself would become a death row inmate in Rome's prison industrial complex. And Jesus's people were poor, broke as the Ten Commandments, exploited by regressive tax policies that took from the needy and gave to the greedy. And the stress of it all affected their health. 
So how did Jesus handle this? One thing he did was he practiced social distance. He practiced it not as a public health directive, but as a spiritual discipline. Scripture tells us that he regularly spent time in solitude and prayer. Every now and then we should spend time in solitude to reconnect with ourselves and the holy. We can't be caught up in the struggle all the time. We can't be caught up in the news on TV all the time. We can't be caught up in other people's lives all the time. Every now and then we need to get away from our friends and our family, our phones and our laptops, so we can take time to recharge and reflect. Howard Thurman says that there are some things that only the stillness of the heart makes clear. Maybe we can use the season of social distancing to quiet our hearts and listen for what it reveals to us. So Jesus practiced social distancing as a spiritual discipline. And rather than being overly discouraged by the challenges he faced, he also made love go viral. He was always making love go viral. He healed the sick, even those with pre-existing conditions, and he didn't charge them a copay. He preached about setting free those held captive in Rome's prison industrial complex, including inmates with weak immune systems that made them vulnerable to viruses spreading through correctional facilities. He welcomed immigrants, even those falsely accused of bringing drug, drugs and crime into the country. And not only did he comfort the afflicted, he afflicted the comfortable. And not out of hatred, but because he knew that being well-adjusted to injustice and well-adapted to indifference makes equality feel like oppression. That's why he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the reign of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. And then he continued, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Throughout his lifetime, a lot of bad stuff was spreading all around him. But rather than being overcome by it, he made love go viral. For him, love was about so much more than kindness and charity. It was about equality and justice. It was about sharing wealth and power. And it was about ending health inequities. At the center of his love were those on the margins of society. He was outraged that his people were getting sick and dying because of social neglect and exploitation. He wanted them to live long and prosperous lives. So he was always working to create a better world for them. He was always working to make love go viral. Middle family, each of us is an essential worker in making love go viral. Each of us is an essential worker in flattening the curve of inequality. Each of us is an essential worker in flattening the curve of hate. Red, yellow, black, and white, we're all needed in this fight. Even in this season that we're in this difficult time of grieving and uncertainty, each of us is an essential worker in the fight against racism and for a better world. And in order to make love go viral, we need to believe that we can do it. We need to believe in our own power. Racism and inequality thrive when people fail to believe in their power. No matter who you are, you have the power to make love go viral. Jesus was a poor carpenter with no formal education who could hardly read and write, and yet he taught the world so much about how to love. The world is waiting on each of you of each of us to believe in our power. 
The world is waiting on each of us to make love go viral. I wanna thank our amazing pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis for inviting me to preach this sermon. I also wanna thank my entire Middle Church family for your love and support. And I wanna thank everyone who tuned in today. May God bless you, stay safe and healthy, keep the faith and spread the love.